this sounds stupid because I know how brothers, like I know how brothers work and like genes work sometimes. Like, you know, G-E-N-E, not denim, but they look too much alike. Like they don't look like brothers. They look like a failed cloning experiment. And I mean, I realized like, oh, like, you know, like they look 97% similar. Like that sounds stupid. Cause like, yeah, cause they have like the same parents, but like, no, they look like, I think somebody posted that one, like a screenshot or like a still from that one episode of Hey Arnold, where Arnold goes to visit his weird cousin and like his weird country cousin with who looks just like him and then falls in love with like the Helga G. Pataki fucking like Earthsats, like or like the, the nega hell G Pataki, who is like kind and generous and shit. Then it turns out that it's all a dream a dream. Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's like like Cory Booker, like like Cory Booker's father trapped Carrie Booker in the in the in the basement because he was like he thought he was the evil twin, but the evil twin is, is Corey. I hadn't actually seen him until basically you guys started talking about it. I had I, I had missed that part. And so uh, looking at it with the fresh eyes, yeah, it is. It is very creepy. Like I'm, I'm a little. It, it looks concerning. <laughs> it, look, it looks like yeah, like something went wrong. <laughs> like something, somewhere, something went wrong. And I mean, I mean, I know like the 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 popular thing to criticize on like the internet is like age gap dating, like dating between like people who are like, oh, like this person, you know, the, the Reddit relationship shit where like, oh, like I'm a dancer or one, like, oh no, I'm like a, a college freshman or college, like fucking uh, senior. And I'm, and I'm a dancer, you know, 21 F and my boyfriend's like software engineer, like 38, 38 male. Like, and we're just having problems. It's like, that's, that's never bothered me. Cause I, I don't care. But like, what does bother me is when like couples look too much alike, like, like, they, like, there's some serious mm-hmm. shit out there where, like, couples look like they could, like, they could be brother or sister as opposed to, like, you know, fucking. Or I guess, you know, both. That's gross. And you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, the, the, the discourse does not support the uncool crime of incest, obviously. But, like, Cory Booker and Carrie Booker look, look enough alike where I might assume that they were a couple if they were both white. And, like, you know, and I saw, and I saw them on a fucking, like, subway. Because, like, cause like, white people love that show. Mm-hmm. White people love dating people who look just like them. That, you have a good point there, actually. <laughs> that's like that's the one good thing about being in an interracial relationship. It's like you can never be confused for brother and sister unless you know it's like stepbrother, stepsister, a la Pornhub first page. But like it's been Ted Cruz's history. <laughs> Ted Cruz, His Ted Cruz, like that was on the anniversary of nine eleven, and he's out there cranking it, <laughs> Cr- cranking it to the memory of our fallen heroes you know ted cruz is jacking off on their memory that's disgusting he's he should be impeached just based on that you know he doesn't want to you know help them get make sure they get the funding for their medical help they need because you know now, that's, rand, keep that that's, that's rand paul <laughs> like rand paul is rapidly becoming my least favorite rand obviously my my current least favorite rand is rand is ayn rand and my second least favorite rand is rand mcnally because they they uh they propagate uh round earth propaganda but like he's rapidly like displacing rand mcnally as my second least favorite rand I'm just gonna put that out there my my list of rands is like is now contentious anyway we're getting off track uh last week adair was not here to join us because he was having technical difficulties so he did not get a chance to comment on our you know pretty in-depth conversations about what was happening in relation to like trump and nancy pelosi and you know, AOC and Ayanna Presley and Rashida Tlaib and, uh, you know, Ilan Omar. And I guess that stuff is still kind of happening. So I guess we want to get Adair's hot take on the, 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 the Trump go back to Africa tweet. Amen. I wish, I wish three Americans. Well, 
Go ahead, please. I wish he was aborted. Also, get rid of all the white people. You, Just ship them back. You wish Trump was aborted? <laughs> Trump was aborted. It's not too late. I wish Trump... If liberals have their way. Also- <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, in his, he's in his what? 507th trimester? It's not too late. Liberals want to make late, 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 late term abortion. They want to make it so the PC police can just come into your house the moment you accidentally misgender somebody and abort you right there on the spot. Is that what you want, Adair? Yes. Also, though, I think it's more likely that this dude dies from a heart attack given that he eats like eight McDoubles a day. Like, I I like McDonald's, but who eats eight McDoubles a day? Like, bruh. I didn't want to say anything, but he posted that like a, a little bit ago. He like he really knows how to rile up uh, the Democrats and like people who spend too much time online. But he posted that gif of like himself. It was like Trump 2020, Trump 2024, Trump 2028. I was like, whoa, I, I, I know I can't post this online because like the, the Secret Service is, is for real and I don't want to get in trouble. But like the idea that Trump's going to live past like 2022 and like the way like the way his lifestyle is high stress stress, high cholesterol diet, that those two things don't really mix. But like and I don't and this isn't even like this isn't even trying to body shame Trump. This is literally like, bruh, you're gonna die. Like if you keep doing the shit you're doing. Like I think I'm torn between a heart attack and a brain aneurysm. I mean I wouldn't be like I think those are like he's gonna he's gonna see a a not like a non-binary interracial queer couple that's visibly queer, super androgynous, you know, twerking to some, to, to some, just extra Latinx music in the middle of New York, while blood walking all over a bunch of discarded fetus boxes from Planned Parenthood, and he's just gonna, he's just gonna pop a brain, a blood vessel right then. Bewilders me. He's got access to anything that he wants, and he chooses McDonald's. And then of all the things that he's making money off of, he's not getting paid by McDonald's to do that. That, that just seems bullying to me. That we but, know of. This could be a fire fest yeah, situation. Right. But I mean, that's, that's probably terrible for their brand, right? Because people do not think Trump is a picture of health. I mean, it, say what you want about Republicans, the fact that like, whenever you know, like they're going to burn all their copies of The Little Mermaid and the protest uh, Halle Berry becoming the, the next Little Mermaid or some shit. But like they like they will rush out to like support whatever dumbass thing like pretends to have any kind of conservative values. Like half of those motherfuckers don't do any DIY projects, but they go and spend a hundred dollars at, at Hobby Lobby every week for no fucking reason. Or like they're like they're always like taking pictures of like eating Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A is definitely better than McDonald's, though. Contentious opinion. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't know. I've never been there. I've never eaten Chick Fil A. I've never planned to eat Chick Fil A. I've been there like three times. Once when I was in Disney World in Florida, because they don't really exist in New York City. Uh, uh, this is we're totally fucking off off the topic and we're going to get into politics soon but like fast food takes which we're trying to break into fast food takes as, as, as a part of our brand chick-fil-a if i had to rank chick-fil-a i'd give it like a c maybe b tier fast food at least considered on the west coast in and out is trash your fries are trash the burgers are trash it's all trash in and out is trash y'all hyping up a garbage fast food chain it is worse than mcdonald's by far five guys for life be careful when you go outside there be careful when you go outside (laughs) honestly people on the west coast just want to pretend like they have things like they know they don't got shit (laughs) except for earthquakes and i don't know 
liberal Hollywood actors, and now they try to pretend like they have some sort of claim to the fast food, the fast food capital of the world with in and out. In and out is trash. I've had like one time at an airport when I was doing a layover. Irrelevant. Going back to the the Trump, go back to Africa tweet. Frankly, you know, in the aftermath of that, people, because the media did what it always does insofar as that it became this whole like who is like this game of like who's going to call trump racist and who's just going to like use euphemisms like racially charged or like in the case of nancy pelosi and a few people like couching the language of like he's not a racist he just does racist things i'm like i think that might be too nuanced of uh, a fucking distinction to make for like maybe this is me just being elitist i think the idea that, like you know that racism or race or gender or whatever are things that you perform like you know they're things that exist as part of our culture that you perform they're not who you are like it's like you know is is an interesting take for someone's like master's thesis on like performative fucking uh bigotry or that way the way we, we socially perform bigotry but in the case of like one politician talking about another politician like telling four women of color again three of which are actually from america so i guess they are from a shithole country like to go back to africa or some shit it's like that's just racism like it's not even like thinly veiled racism it's like it's racism like it, it it's it's deeply rooted in this idea that like people of color and like are constantly walking on eggshells you know in order to a not have their fucking citizenship or rather their Americanness questioned which which does have a long history and I guess that's why people were kind of well it's not it's part of why people were kind of fucked up around the whole like uh Russia is influencing black people to hate America take because that does have a long history steeped into this idea of like well if we make communism uh a relatively well, if we make communism or being a communist or even having communist sympathies or having politics that one could associate with communism with like being anti-American and having, you know, again, ties to the, the, to the Soviet Union during the early part and I guess the mid part of the 20th century, we can basically go after any group we want to work against Nelson Mandela. So, but again, irrelevant. Like, this whole conversation about like, who's going to call Trump racist? Who's going to call, like, who's going to say what he said is racially charged? Who's going to say, who's going to double down on it? And who is going to fucking just like, who's going to use some other like term for Trump is a racist? It, it's interesting to me. I think it really highlights what I was saying last week about the fact that, you know, a lot of this is not about uh, like, the proper way to resist fascism for people in the media or people who have like a public, some sort of public brand or public uh, component to their, their job. Like, you know, politicians, professional shit posters like us. This is more about like how to position yourself in relation to Trump's in relation to Trump versus like fascism versus Trumpism to, you know, maximize the monetary and social benefit to yourself. And a lot of people are really still struggling with that. Like how far can they go down this? Like, is Trump a racist? Is he not a racist? Can we afford to call him a racist? Is that going to hurt our bottom line? Are we going to be boycotted by dumbass conservative media? Like all those things. I'm curious about your takes on that. Like, like the whole, like, is he a racist conversation? He, so he is, he is a racist, right? But the reason why a lot of people, at least in my opinion, and I think this is generally going to hold true, the reason why people don't want to call Trump a racist is then that they have to not only, are they, they're not only calling Trump racist in cases of people like Nancy Pelosi and other people like that, they're admitting that they're racist, but for most mainstream, you know, quote, liberal, Amer- liberal white Americans, they're having to say, oh, well, I guess my Uncle Joe is actually a racist and not just some kooky old asshole 
who says racist things at Thanksgiving, right? Like, they, it requires white America in particular to look into a mirror. It also requires Americans of color, those that have the privilege of being born here, to address their own xenophobia, right? Because oftentimes, we don't, we don't talk about that within our own communities, but there are a lot of xenophobic Black people, right? There are a lot of xenophobic Latinx people, and it depends on which part of the uh, Latinx community you come from, right? Because I've got Puerto Rican cousins that voted for one that was like, I'm definitely going to vote for Trump because he's better than Hillary. And, you know, you hear things in, like, Puerto Rican circles where it's like, well, why don't these illegal Mexicans just go back to where they came from, right? But it's like, we're all equally suffering under these people, but when we talk about is something explicitly this or that, a lot of times folks have somebody in their family who says or does, right, the very things that we're talking about and they don't want to, they, they don't want to acknowledge it as racist because then they have to acknowledge that person is racist and then they have to acknowledge their own shortcomings and saying, well, I'm anti-racist, yet never doing anything to actively confront the racism that they deal with all the time. Yeah, no, I, I think Adair pretty much nailed it. My thoughts exactly is that it's getting increasingly hard to pretend that they aren't racist and that their family members aren't racist or that they haven't, you know, stood idly by in front of racism or that they don't kind of agree with some of the sentiments or haven't before said something to the effect of love it or leave it. And like, these are all things. And like, wait a minute, you're telling me that when I say that to to these people that I'm being racist and, and it's a there's a wave overwhelming white America right now of recognizing what the last 200 plus years have been and it's uh, it's overwhelming I think and it's also being uh, kind of uh, saddled or put on to Trump instead of the last 200 years that we're trying to isolate it and focus it on Trump so that if Trump goes away, well, then we're less likely to have these certain conversations at the Thanksgiving table. So we're less likely to have to be exposed to the blatant racism. So it'll be easier to go back to pretending like everything's okay again. And, uh, you know, it boils back down that something we've covered before is lack of accountability and uh, a desire to remain comfortable in the the situation that they're in. Well, I mean, that's a good point. I definitely had to consider the fact that like Trump emboldening racist is, well, I mean, I think we've talked about Trump emboldening racist is broadly speaking, not just to be like committing hate crimes, which are on the rise, but also just to be like vocally annoying to people in their own lives about like, hey, you see, you see, you see this, you see this. Uh, like I, I didn't consider that like that, that is now like a reality of some liberals live like their one racist cousin or like that like that one dude at your office who was always real quiet about politics is now like super has become like super vocal in the pro-trump era at the same time though you know this is kind of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to it. like being able to call trump a racist is not a condemnation or even an acknowledgement that like we live in a racist system like calling trump mm-hmm. fascist or like xenophobic or feminist or like sorry not feminist definitely not feminist but calling it like or calling him sexist or misogynist like it's not even a really a condemnation of like america it's not a condemnation of our system of government is not a condemnation of our history uh, a history that led either a uh, distant or like or proximate history that led us to trump like it's really just like at this point calling him like a stupid asshole bigot. Like, and so it feels as though, like, again, it's a low hanging fruit. You have people who are willing to do it, you know, either they be, you know, you know, more independently minded, uh, 
writers or publications or more progressive, uh, more progressive fucking like politicians, like further to the left. But like, no one is really out there demanding people like craft a fucking coherent structural or systemic analysis of Trump's racism and how it's like situated within our history or within our other institutions. Even at this point, you know, people talk about, you know, uh, dissolving the DHS, which was founded in 2002, or like, you know, getting rid of ICE, which was, which was, you know, obviously part of the DHS uh, specifically, but like focusing on the most modern incarnation, or rather the most visible extreme manifestation of, of America's fucking like xenophobia, in this case, ICE or DHS post 2001, or well, post Iraq. Uh, well, not post Iraq, post 9-11 and the, the formation of DHS in 2002, uh, like it, it doesn't do justice to the long history of American xenophobia in like where DHS is situated in that history. Same with Trump. And so like for me, that even that like that, the fact that like people can't have a hard time hitting that low hanging fruit of, hey, yeah, Trump is obviously a racist. By what metric? By literally every metric, right? Like we're not talking about like, okay, well, how do you define racist like personal moral intellectual failing like yeah he's that too uh but like no one's even demanding that nancy pelosi or like the new york times or the washington like the washington post or the wall street journal come out with like fucking coherent analysis analysis of race they're just saying hey can you hit this low bar of like this dude is obviously a racist obviously a fascist and they can't hit that not necessarily yeah they can't hit that and like it's in so much it's not even really for ideological reasons because like they don't know how profitable it would be to make that argument right and like in some like you know some people are, are just willing to let like essentially play both sides of the field like use the fact that they have multiple writers writing for the outlet to kind of muddy the water about whether or not they should call whether or not they are calling trump a racist because like, oh like hey the opinion page no one writer thinks trump is a racist one writer thinks it's fucking unnecessarily divisive or it's a bad political tactic to call like the call trump a racist because it just makes more people more racist and he doesn't really have any fucking like data to back that up he just says it you know, really, like, like, like that, like that's where we're at. But they, but that's like that's such a low bar to hit. It's kind of just, it's, it's weird that we even have, to have this discussion. At the same time, though, I think it's that last point I made about whether or not like it's politically expedient to call Trump a racist is a conversation we've been having ever since like the uh, the Nazi marches of 2016, where Nazis were getting punched, and it became like, well, is it actually? politically expedient to call Nazis Nazis or call fascists fascists or does it just drive more people towards fascism and like the the, the first level of that fucking critique or that that fucking like argument is you know stupid right like anyone who is so fickle or so contrarian that they that they'd willingly embrace fascism just because like you like just because you're calling other people who are not them, we're calling the thing that they're supporting fascism is too stupid and too fickle to have any kind of political, political, leech, uh, political fucking, uh, uh, cooperative, I guess you could lack of a better word with, but it does make a kind of weird sense in a world where like we've turned like systemic oppression and structural oppression and like institutional analysis into like what is essentially just an insult based on like the the perceived moral intellectual failings of one particular person, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, articulate my, what I'm trying, what I was trying to say very well in that, like, it if we all if we put it all on Trump and we don't 
deal with the long history that set Trump up, then we end up back where like we're at best where we started. And that's not really Obama. That's more like Clinton. Like that's where we're heading. Like going like Obama was a market improvement, like was disliked by the establishment, but was cooptable enough that he was acceptable. And it's like, they would prefer not to have somebody as liberal or as leftist as Obama in that position for like for some perspective. And so if we only indict Trump and it's all about, you know, making a, a personal assessment about Trump and his personal behavior rather than the systemic issues that led to Trump and uh, prevent us from holding Trump accountable for a multitude of things, then it's too easy to slip back. And for me, it's just like we, we have 10 years before we have to make like dramatic and significant changes like some, basically elect a president that we would never predict that we can elect. And that's in less than 10 years. Otherwise, we might as well just start preparing for how we're going to survive the catastrophic climate collapse as people have left. <laughs> but yeah, no, like I, I agree. Right. But I think the thing about it, especially as it pertains to people like uh, Pelosi, is it is she wants to be the adult in the room, right? And so if you have a bunch of people like AOC and other freshman Congress people, you have millennials and other folks marching, she wants to be the quote-unquote adult in the room. So she wants to be the one who's like, well, it's just, un, it's, un, it's, it's impolite to make a scene about this. It's impolite to call somebody racist. So we won't ever do that because it really just, it, you know, it just snacks of liberal hypocrisy. But also, and not like outside of people like Nancy Pelosi, she also knows. I, you know what? I take that back. I don't give her that much credit. I don't think she does know. It does, though, give the people that support mainstream Democrats a kind of shield to hide behind, right? It gives them that ammunition. It makes them feel better about themselves. Because if Nancy Pelosi comes out and confronts Trump's racism, then Karen in San Diego has to confront her racism. She has to confront her family's racism. She has to back. You know, when they, those people that move from wherever, you know, the stereotype is move from like the Midwest or the South and go back to those family gatherings, all those racists, right? But also have to confront their own. They have to think about race is more than just do you say really things, really like shitty things. I mean, this is just blatant racism. It's not hidden. It's not coded. It's not dog whistled. But to confront that means we're moving towards confronting implicit racism, which is why comfortable white people will always defend the blatant racist over the victims of that racism. It saves their complacency. It means that they are okay. They can go to sleep at night and feel that they're one of the good white people. They don't say those things, and therefore they cannot be racist. And also they have a color TV, you know? Well, how else are you going to watch Sanford and Son if you don't have a color TV? <laughs> no, but see, so that's the, the, what you're saying is what I don't understand, right? So, like, I think on this show, we can honestly say we have a very specific, well, not very specific, we have a very nuanced take on race. And one of our takes, you know, as a whole on race is that, like, we don't talk about racism or race or gender or sexism or homophobia or Islamophobia or xenophobia or anti-Semitism or any of the sort of this endless list of fucking ways to be shitty to people on a structural level, on a structural level anymore. Like we have seen this entire entire strategic push to transform racism and it's, you know, more or less analogs for lack of, I'm not going to repeat that whole list again, uh, into just like a personal 
like moral intellectual failure to like to keep repeating that phrase like if you're like racists are bad stupid people uh and we don't mean stupid like they're stupid because they're racist we mean stupid like they're uneducated you know they don't go to ivy league schools they're probably poor like we've seen in some ways racism become uh I'm, trying, I'm struggling with how to say this in a way that does not like seem like I'm being fucking stupid or reactionary. But okay, here, like, so good. Ex- so I'll use an example instead. Like, we've seen people be very quick to more or less want to throw out the South, right? The entirety of the South, like, and forget that you know, whenever like a, an Alabama or Florida or any of these other states down south, um, like pass a regressive law in terms of abortion or like a, a cop down there gets away with shooting a black person or any number of things that they do down there like that are shitty you know like liberals in fucking coastal cities are very keen to be like let's just throw let's just throw it south like if the south wants to secede we should just let them and they don't seem to understand that for the most part like the south as someone on twitter said is is a uh it's more or less like a population of like people of color, a highly concentrated concentration of like people of color, specifically black people in like uh, in parts of this, the Southwest, uh, you know, Latinos, Latinas, Latinxes, that's plural, uh, Asian Americans. Like it's, it's an entire, you know, uh, plurality of like minority groups and leftist organizations being held hostage by fucking gerrymandering laws that the Democratic Party didn't really want to fight very hard because they didn't want to seem like they were being like unfair again. And so like... Some of them were inspired by the Democratic Party in places like New York. Some of them were inspired by the Democratic Party, and some of these gerrymandering laws were also supported by some Democrats, including some fucking Democrats in the Congressional Black Caucus, as a way to make sure that, like, their districts were safe, like, their personal districts were safe, even if the rest of the fucking Mm -hmm. state fell. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. point blank what happened. Um, And, I mean, you see that kind of, like, we have to say very specific key Democrats in very specific key seats over, like, a majority, a potential majority, uh, as, like, you know, when it comes to DCCC funding. But the point I was going to make is that, like, we have seen racism in its analogs, sexism, not really, it's not really analogs, but, you know, they're comparing, and for the sake of this, sexism, homophobia become, like, insults that like the democratic party uses in a very shallow way to demonize their opponents without self-reflecting either on their own party's racism like not their the history of racism like oh did you know democrats were like they were in the civil war you know on the fucking south like no no not that kind of racism but like the crime bill <laughs> or <laughs> or um what you call it or Obama's expansion of the drone of, of the drone program or any of those things, right? And so it has become in certain ways just like an insult that they throw at populations that they don't like in order to be in order to like to point to like essentially a, a foil, right? It's like, hey, Democratic Party is the party of anti-racism. And so everyone outside Democratic Party or again, population Democratic Party values is a uh, acceptable target to be accused of racism. And so you see someone like Trump and you say, okay, this is a perfect opportunity to like point paint this person. Like this is the racist. <laughs> like, like this is the, this is, this is racism. Uh, like, and like your whole shtick is like, 
You're the, you're the party of symbolic anti-racism. That's what you do. That's all you really do. If people try to get you to like do, you know, to expand social security, you fucking resist it tooth and nail. And so like your inability to do what you do best, even at the detriment of like the entire discourse about races, because like turning it in from a, from a systemic form of oppression to like an interpersonal narrative about someone's moral intellectual failures like has irreparably damaged how we understand racism and systemic bigotry in this country. But fuck it. Forget that for a second. <laughs> like, like, like your inability to even do that is stressful because it becomes like, what do you have? And like, and even just to that point, it's like, I think last week or like at the end of last week, yeah, definitely like the Democratic Party or rather in some random New Yorker op-ed, like a few, men, the, few members of the Democratic Party were like lamenting, kicking fucking Al Franken out for groping, like for groping people. And like you had, like we have this like whole nuance. Like people wanted to have this whole nuanced conversation about like is the Democratic Party's purity politics when it relates to the Me Too movement or whatever to like getting in the way of like actual progressive legislating. And it's just like no, of course not, because they're not really interested in doing progressive legislating. It's like like you, like you you'd have to construct this fantasy scenario where Democratic Party is a interested in fucking. Uh, and actually fucking legislating progressively, they are not. B, actively, you know, actively engaged in like trying to deepen the conversation around fucking uh, sexism and the many ways it manifests itself outside of like the, you know, just the pure interpersonal violence, which it would be helpful again. And C, that they didn't literally craft this strategy of like only focusing on like systemic or not only focusing on fucking like symbolic anti-racism or basically saying the right things and arguing for like the need for diversity in the most shallow form the most shallow misrepresentational correcting form and like they, like they asked for this so like it's hard to feel bad for them when they can't even like they can't even play by their own standards which is like okay you have racists in the other party call them racist like and like really hammer home just how racist they are you can't pull back on that uh because you're not good at it like you, you have fucking you know you have members of your own party who have been guilty you know, have been photographic evidence that they've been guilty of molesting women or harassing women. You got to get rid of them. In a perfect world scenario, you would be offering other things. And so maybe you'd have a better chance of actively like arguing for why this is not a big deal. I wouldn't believe you (laughs) because it is a big deal, but like you'd have a better argument for like why Al Franken has to stay because he's doing big, important things. But like, really, when you look at it, what is he doing? Voting for the fucking Iraq war? Ah, obviously. Like, like that, like that's, you can't replace him with any other Democrat. Right. The same story with Joe Manchin back when, you know, it was like, oh, he voted for this thing on healthcare that didn't actually make any difference. And other than that, he's only voted, his only votes that matter have been in support of Trump. It's like, okay. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to kind of highlight that I thought kind of captured exactly what you're talking about with the performative anti-racism was uh, back in, what was it uh, here? So back in February, Pelosi uh, was trying, they were trying to get uh, a something to condemn Trump out. And her, her phrasing of it was essentially that uh, uh, censure is nice, but 
and she says it's not commensurate with the violation of the Constitution. And that is a day in the, uh, or it's a day at the beach for the president or his golf club or wherever he goes. And then, like months later, when he does something super racist and xenophobic, her response is the same exact thing she just called a day on the beach or his golf club for the president. So, and we're supposed to think that that's somehow uh, a significant act of you know condemning Trump's action when literally just uh, months before she was talking about how insignificant and pointless that exact type of action was and so it, it that in my view kind of encapsulates the performative uh, aspects of the democratic party's anti-racism platform in that they don't even believe that their condemnations have any significance but that's the best that they can muster if that and that's where we're at uh, with the Democrats. And one of the other things that I've kind of picked up on lately is there's a, besides the lack of a, the systemic analysis and the essentially assigning racism as a personal failure, like, and to me, this is one of the reasons why I say, you know, people do racist things aren't racist in general is just because I don't think people are addicts. They get addicted to things and so on and so forth. So I just, it's a consistency thing for me in general. But I also understand the reason to just not even bother with that kind of nuance with the, some of the people that we're discussing this with. But to my point is that a lot of people are treating being called a racist like being called an asshole. It's like some people get offended personally, like that you're, you're, you're saying something about their character and that they're a bad person. But there's a whole other group or subset of people that respond with, oh, you say I'm an asshole or you say I'm a racist, but I'm just saying it like it is. And the guy that you think is a racist is just saying it like it is. You know, black people were disproportionately jailed, incarcerated, beaten, and abused because they're more criminal. And I'm just saying it like it is, and you don't like to hear the truth. That's why you're going to call me racist and try and shut down my ability to have a dialogue. That's the kind of responses that I've seen uh, coming back as a result, I think, in part uh, of this kind of personalization of uh, and personal responsibility aspect of racism and uh, the systemic racist racism problems that we face well definitely just i always make two points in in response to your points the first is that like i don't see that much value in performative anti-racism you know in having mastered the right language at least when it comes down to like actually solving the problem of you know or rather you can't necessarily solve the problem you can't necessarily solve racism but you can you can certainly put institutions and agencies and you know infrastructure into place to you know, help correct it. It's like, we've seen that in the past 30 years as they have done better and better at like, well, they've tried to do better and better at like speaking on issues of race, speaking on issues of gender. We failed to see that actually materialize in any, you know, any market improvement on like the conditions of people of color or the conditions of anybody else in the world that, you know, weren't, weren't essentially already well off, right? We we've seen the failures of that article. Like, we we know that like this this language, this like this sort of new economy of like focusing on language and symbols and tools as it relates to social justice, at least by Democratic Party and their aligned their aligned punditry is not like the gateway into actually 
passing legislation. It's not meant to normalize legislation as though, you know, like, like in this case, language is not a tool to accomplish another goal. It's the goal itself. It's like if we get enough people to use the proper terms, like if we get enough people to use the proper words, then the system will just change itself magically. No need for any sort of like mass political pressure from the fucking bottom. Like just use the right words. It's like, yeah, using the right words, especially when it comes to, you know, not misgendering people, not dead naming people, not fucking like getting people's pronouns wrong. It's important. Like you should do it if only because you don't want to be an asshole, but also because like that kind of action, you know, it, it, it is, you know, it seems it not, it is, but it seems insignificant because it is operating on a personal level. And a lot of times that we are taught to think structurally on the left, but you also have to like, sort of understand that like those two are related. And there has also been this again, concerted effort to get people not necessarily to understand the relationship between like, hey, this person on a personal level is a fucking bigot. And also all of our structures reflect not necessarily his level of like vocal explicit bigotry, but various shades of implicit and explicit, you know, uh, racism, sexism, homophobia, etc. To the second part of your point, I'll just say, like, they're not even good at it, though. And to me, that's, that says, like, they're not even good at the performative anti-racism and the performative fucking, uh, the performative feminism, because, like, even if it has low value, they feel as though, and I think when, when you talk about, like, hey, them promoting Joe Biden, despite the fact that he can't even stay on script when it comes to fucking busing, and now with people, now with certain Democrats, and I guess it was happening back then, too, both in the party and also, like, their, their liberal voters, lamenting the fact that they got rid of Al Franken, like even the low, low bar of, like, just not, just saying the right things is something that with the, you know, with the the rise of Trump, they feel like they shouldn't even have to be expected to do that. And I think that part to me is fucking wild, where it's like you have this figure in Trump who is, you know, who's essentially the best branding opportunity you could ever ask for. He's stupid. He's bigoted. He's fucking, uh, like, he's fucking crass. A, a cartoonish orange color. Like, it's like and it, like, and so, like, you, you don't care. Like, and when it comes to, like, actual, like, things that he does that you have, like, a, a literal, like, ideological schism over, like, you don't like, like, those things are minor because, like, because the Trump is more, more or less a functionary of the Republican Party. So, like, you might disagree with some of them, but, like, their underlying premises you, you kind of agree with. You know, small, like, small government, tax cuts for the wealthy, big business is the way to go. It's like, but the things that you could hammer him on, are things you, like they even they they feel like they don't have to do do that, and I think that part is like it, it's it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating to go, okay, you've crafted your party entirely on like on like just wanting people to not rather you craft you've crafted your brand viability entirely on the idea of hey we like we've read Judith Butler. We've read Tana Hasty Coates. We're ready to go. And at the first hurdle, like Joe Biden says nigger and fucking like <laughs> Ralph Northam is in fucking blackface at the D at the DNC at the DNC conference. And like and, 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 and like your followers are like, come on guys, like this is you have you do one thing and you and you can't even fucking get that right. And Pelosi's like, but have you seen him moonwalk though? <laughs> Like, I mean, if you see a moonwalk, then you appreciate the, the necessity for the blackface and the costume. I mean, it, they just kind of go together. You can't have one without the other. The Democrats never really try to promote themselves as the party of opposition. That's why they said resist as opposed, as opposed to saying oppose, right? 
that subtle use of language is important. Resist what Trump is doing, because that implies that there's some temptation to do what you, to, that you want to fall into it. It's saying, okay, well, it's them saying, out, reaching out to their people and saying, hey, I know there's some things in here that he said that you like, but let's just resist that temptation. Let's just resist Trump. We can do that as Democrats. We don't have to do it with the Republicans, right? As opposed to saying, oppose what Trump is doing, as opposed to making that the rallying cry. Democrats are soft Republicans. Democrats have never opposed Republicans, and they never will, which is why they're so performative. Because again, if they were to oppose, if they were to actively take a stance, it would expose them for what they are, so they can't actually do it. Well, so I mean, I, I actually agree with you. I think the, the use of language there is important. And, you know, insofar as the Democratic Party is, like, even if, it, if we're going to examine the word resist, like, resist is not like fucking stop. Like, why is it not like we're going to stop him? It's just like, and so like, mm-hmm. it, so people often use the term performative as though like it mean inherently means like shallow and inherent or inherently means like meaningless, but it doesn't, right? If you know, you know, performative just means like it's something that you could, it, well, it has various meanings, but usually when I've seen it used like an academic, you know, an academics, uh, circumstances it, it, people use it to to indicate that it's like it's it has a social component right like you're performing something for the benefit of communicating something specific to society uh through that performance right you, you perform gender right and like and that's usually not a distinction that we make in uh in everyday life right you know we don't say people are performing gender we say people are like are like they're, they're chicks or they're dudes they're they're, they're bros or they're hoes obviously uh like we, we you know we we attack we don't distinguish between what someone is doing and who they are in in meaningful ways except for in very very specific circumstances right that's why when you die they put your occupation in the newspaper <laughs> Like, because like that's like, that's a stand. I mess mean, a joke, but it's, it's a good. It's a sort of a good heuristic. And like we don't distinguish between like, hey, someone has sex with other people of the same gender, and someone is homophobic. I mean, sorry, someone is gay. Like we don't distinguish between like action and identity when it comes to certain things. Uh, so in this case, you know, we're talking about like people who want to say Trump is doing is doing racisms. He's not a racist. They're moderating their language in a way that's purposely meant to avoid having to be accused of being rude. In the case of resist, it's just like that's where like the performance becomes fucking uh, shallow because like, OK, so you just want to be seen resisting him. Right. Because ultimately everything like you said it there, everything that he does benefits you or people who are within your sort of socioeconomic class. It's like, so like you want to be seen resisting. You want to have it on record that you were not vocally in favor of some shit, but like at the end of the day, you're not really doing everything in your power to stop it, right? Like you're doing everything in your power to kind of suss out what's the proper way to position yourself against certain things. Uh, like that, that leaves you enough wiggle room to A, not be accused of being non-pragmatic, which is a big part of your brand, uh, not make it impossible to like fuck again. And also like, this might sound conspiratorial, but like not really use Trump because Trump is very unpopular. And like they, the Democratic Party do certain things that end up making him more popular because they they like they weaponize things improperly. Even the Russiagate thing, they could have done a better job of like actually weaponizing it. But like they certainly haven't made like the Republican Party wear Trump as like a badge of dishonor, right? They haven't like made they haven't used Trump and his record unpopularity over the course of his fucking presidency to as a rock to drown the Republican Party. They just can they continue to make 
assertions, like unfounded assertions at the Republican Party, like there's some meaningful distinction to be made between him and the Republican Party when there isn't, right? You know, any competent party who was actually concerned with winning would do two things, not run Joe Biden, because that's a fucking, that's a fucking uh, cry for help. And B, like, Take Trump and his record on popularity and say, hey, this is the person who won the popular vote in your party. It's like, like you know, like, like Mitch McConnell, he's your, you know, he's your Frankenstein's monster. Like, they don't want to do that either. And like, you know, going further, like even sort of looping in, in the fact that Nancy Pelosi extended the death ceiling and definitely, you know, the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, like extended the, the, the fucking debt ceiling indefinitely to 2021. So basically for the entire, like there won't be a debt ceiling crisis or Democratic Party, for, let, me, let me rephrase that, Democratic Party won't be able to manufacture a debt ceiling, a debt ceiling crisis like the Republican Party started doing 10, like fucking uh, like under Obama. And we just pretend like it was a normal thing to do. Like that, that should just, they just started doing that shit and everyone just started like accepting like, oh this is not terrorism this is not this is not them holding the country hostage this is a responsible this is the responsible party like trying to rein in the irresponsible uh spending party democratic party democratic party it's like the republican party is not responsible with fucking money it's like all they do is give tax cuts to billionaires and then when like the coffers are fucking empty and we can't afford social programs anymore like they go well it's because those programs just don't work and democratic party just like looks there like fucking po-faced and go i guess they're right there is no money i wonder what happened to it and so you know it's a wash but there definitely does seem to be like this if I'm going to be conspiratorially minded again, like there seems like they, they already seem to be trying to sabotage whoever gets elected in 2021 who is not Trump, right? Because there's no other reason to extend the debt ceiling indefinitely until the next president takes fucking takes fucking uh, office, unless except for like it accomplishes three things: a, if Trump wins, which it will have, it will probably make it more popular to do. It allow like if Trump wins, it's no big deal because it, you know like you you can just sort of manufacture a debt ceiling crisis in 2021. If Trump doesn't win and some random Democrat wins, probably not Joe Biden, but let's say an Elizabeth Warren or a Kamala Harris. You know, and they win because the only reason they really can win, the only, the only way they could possibly win is by promising Democrat, the, uh, like the Democratic Party base. So, you know, you're further left, you're further less, uh, you're further left uh, voters like, hey, I'm going to work hard on Medicare for all. I'm going to work hard on raising the minimum wage. I'm going to work hard on affordable public housing and, and like, you know, free college. It allows them a safe way to get out of having to fill those promises essentially by just basically going, well, I, I wanted to, I wanted to like do those things, but the Republican party, like the debt ceiling, they, like they, they held the country hostage. I wonder how they were able to do that. Guess we can't, guess we won't know. Oops. In three, if Bernie Sanders wins, which he probably will, like it just, it stacks the deck against him. And so frankly, like he's going to have to work even harder to accomplish his progressive platform because the Republican party are going to have like an, a literal stick of dynamite to threaten to blow up the country every time he tries to do something. And so like, it's hard to see what they're doing as not a fucking like literal plan to sabotage essentially the future of America because like one of those things that it's going to be used to sabotage is like the Green New Deal. And so like the climate, there goes the climate. Yeah, that is worth it for us. Only concerned about their particular situation and winning their own re-elections and not 
I like the country, the future of the party, all of that be damned. Like, and it, it's, uh, it's concerning. It's terrifying, I guess, in a bit. Uh, like they, they're committed. They, they've, they've bought in, they are going, in, they're all in on, you know, bringing on the climate catastrophe and essentially, you know, just adapting to it. That's that's the plan. Well, I mean, they can't. They can't. They, they, commit, commit they can't possibly else. believe that the Republicans give a shit about the deficit. Like, like that to me, it. I don't believe yeah, that. No. I simply don't believe no. that because, like, they would have to be stupid. And I mean, I know we joke around a lot about the Democratic Party being stupid because, like, they fucking are. But like, in order for me to, but like, to believe that the Republican Party this far along, after all the runaway deficits caused by the tax cuts, caused by the fucking military spending, caused by just like Trump deciding to go like to his fucking his golf course every weekend, like they can't. They can't possibly believe that the Republican Party, in good faith, cares about reducing the deficit, cares about reducing the debt, even though that's not even necessarily a good thing. It, so it can only be some sort of calculated plan where, like, the the risks of it making Trump win uh, and the risk of, like, the Republicans, like, having the debt ceiling crisis to hold the holdover Democratic Party again, again, I feel the need to remind people that this, like the debt ceiling only became a thing that people started, that this only became a thing people could do under Obama, but like now it's normal, but the democratic party is just simply like, you would imagine that they would use the same weapons that the Republican uses, at least the same weapon Republican uses against them, against Republicans, but they know the Republican party will actually like, point out how ridiculous it is that they're trying to do that. Same when it came to trying, when they should have blocked Kavanaugh or they should have done better or they should have done a better job trying to block Trump's uh, Supreme Court nominees. Like they, they seem to be unwilling to even play at the same they play the same game as the Republicans are playing, right? Out of fear of the Republican Party, like calling them out for like essentially being immoral actors or not acting in good faith in the political arena, even as Republicans don't do it, right? And I, I do think this dynamic is one where we have to start saying, okay, like they're doing this on purpose. And I think it's very, it's very easy when you have somebody who is trying to fucking get over on you for them to pretend like the thing that they're doing is an accident or like they, they, they just haven't learned the lesson yet because like that's the way that you get people from like, judging you poorly it's like oh well like one day they'll learn one day nancy pelosi and chuck schumer and the democratic party establishment will learn that the republicans are not good faith actors that really they're just a death cult uh whose main political position or project seems to be how many poor people can we how many poor people can we sacrifice on this altar if it to enrich the billionaire class that's that's all they're about and pretending otherwise doesn't really benefit you at the party at the sort of the party level it certainly doesn't benefit america that's that i think they care about that but i will just say this as well like it's 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 not hmm, how how do i say this in a way that's uh they have they seem to have painted themselves in this corner where their only way that they that where they've constructed this entirely facile moral economy of language and like saying the right thing and now it doesn't work right so when we talk about whether or not calling people racist is a pragmatic thing on a political in a political uh, arena racist fascist sexist like whether or not it does work it's like 
that's that's a difficult question to answer because fascism and racism are obviously unpopular, right? Because like we we see the anti-fascist protests, specifically, I'm, I think back to the one in Boston where like a million people came out to protest like for fascists, and like that should give you a, a clue for how unpopular fascism. Like we've seen like the people on like line the viral videos of like someone being very obviously racist, like very explicitly racist, and not being able to like opt out of being called racist by like, I don't know, being a Democrat or being like uh, wealthy enough to be a billionaire. So not having to face any consequences. And we see that those things are obviously unpopular, but no one seems to be willing. And I guess we go back to see the, how we began this conversation to like actively try to engage in this conversation in a way that would effectively cause that label to stick to certain bad actors in our political system and in our media. And and I think going back to Adair's point, it does feel like in many ways, and I, I think about the way people use the term gaslighting, and like, I think it's kind of comparable to the term bullying. And I say that because like, I think in both, you know, both the, the modern project of the Democratic Party and a lot and a few pundits as well seems to be like, how can we, how can we critique Trump while implicating as few of our friends as possible. Where it's like, mm-hmm. like, it's like, how can we construct a critique of a powerful person, i.e., Trump, without act without accidentally critiquing power? Like, how do we like how do we critique Trump's r- being a racist uh, in racism without actively critiquing America? Or the or our past presidents, or rather opening the door for comparative critiques of America or our past presidents that would compare them to Trump. And again, I think that along with the monetary kind of concerns of like, well, how can we effectively brand ourselves as anti-fascist or you know middling like half fascist, half not fascist, or you just it's basically just pro-fascism. Uh, or pro-racism. It's like those two things combined lead to a very mixed message the republican party is you know and like i guess the far right has been able to you know wedge themselves like sort of like cut themselves a little slice of that sort of lifting the veil of secrecy pie and like okay we're going to acknowledge that things actually suck in society like well you know like the democratic party seems to be a seems to like run a grift of like telling people things are not as bad as they actually are republican party runs the opposite grift which is like we're going to actually acknowledge things are pretty bad uh you know in, in a way that doesn't implicate capitalism really implicates minorities but may not implicate like you as a minority because if i had a dollar for every person who was like every black person every like every uh like uh every like latin uh person who like told me like i don't like trump's i don't like the fact that trump is racist against me (laughs) but all his other racism is fine i'd have a i'd have a lot more money than i feel comfortable than i feel comfortable telling you about because like it, essentially, it's like that's really what it is. It's like okay, like the 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 premises that Trump's actions operate on are hegemonic, but no one wants no one wants to really acknowledge the existence of a hegemonic thing. So like you, so you can't really combat it, right? Like you know, neither Democrat, neither Democrat Republicans want like want to acknowledge that like the problems that we're facing are actually built into the pie. You know, they're not just like bad actors or like not happening. So. It's kind of a wash there, and the, the the far left is the only one who's like willing to name the cause, and so like both have a vested interest in like shutting down the far left. 
or le- and not only shutting down the far left, like as a like, as a as a population, but also like s- systemically removing any type of their analysis from the conversation. Like the reason I don't think America could do a general strike is because like people don't even want to fucking boycott Amazon for two days, right? Yeah. It's like people like people don't want to fucking stop using Uber for two days. And the stressful thing about that is that like you know, on the far right, like they burn their Keurigs and buy like trashy ass blue lives matters high tops. So uh, you can't, you know, there's no accounting for them. But like on the left, like it seems like we can't have one fucking like strike of uh, of Uber workers or Amazon or Amazon fucking fulfillment center workers without like someone getting their big asses online and going like, well, actually, uh, boycotting might work if you have enough privilege to boycott, but in reality, uh, it's actually ableist to expect people to boycott things uh, because, like, what if I, as a person, have extreme anxiety and I can only get, you know, I can only defeat my anxiety by shopping on Amazon every day? Like, like the, what about me? Or, like, what if, you know, it's classist not to expect people to shop on Amazon, uh, you know, on like Amazon Prime Day because like that's when things are cheapest. And what if I, what if like that 50 cents off of those fucking LED uh, toasters like is what's, you know, keeps me from being able to not pay my rent. It's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, like it's, it's still people have picked up this, picked up this, like this weird, like it's like people have picked up this weird white fragility thing where like they, they escape into their other, other identities to like not have to deal with the, not have to deal with their privilege. Like they just adapted, they just adapted it to be about labor or like class and or like and refuse to even recognize in situations where like hey we need to have class solidarity that they're like escaping into like gender or race or whatever to have like to avoid like not and not for any real purpose like not to like not to educate people or to expand the conversation or like to develop any coherent intersections between labor and like gender or like labor and race but just to explain that like why they on a personal level shouldn't have to show solidarity with, with the working class and why they shouldn't be made to feel bad for not showing solidarity with working class but it's like you would you want to fucking like get out of a get out of strike free card like what the fuck are you talking about like this is this is yeah, that, that's you want a hall pass? that's everybody right now it's just like i want to be a shitty person and not feel bad about it and and you interrupting that makes you the really bad person you're you're the racist you're the bigot you're the sexist because you're interrupting my ability to be racist sexist or bigoted and, and not feel bad about it that, oh, really? that is like the refrain i keep hearing over and over and over everywhere like oh, really? personally online uh, in the news everywhere well really like you're, you're just up right. you're like you are not acknowledging like it, like it, 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 it's just become like this is like this is the real problem with like wokeness because like really like i think people when people talk about like, like wokeness now because it's kind of become a meme like what they mean is it gets annoying like, like it's like people like constantly like people constantly criticizing you about like not knowing all the proper terms is annoying because like there's no way to know all the proper terms. And sometimes people like, there's no way to know, know all the proper terms that like people expect you to use. Cause sometimes they're, they're, they're counterintuitive or counter like, or people have different preferences, but also it's just like, yeah, developing people, stuff. they're developing and like they're, they're ethereal like, and they're, and like, and they're, 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 they're being hashed out through the discourse. But really it's just like also people being egocentric and expecting you to like know exactly like 
what they want you to be talking about at certain points. But really, like those two, th- those two things are just annoying. But the real issue, and like in my position, from my perspective, is that it's like an unacknowledged kind of co-option of the values of neoliberalism, insofar that like wokeness in this particular instance is just like a way to absolve yourself of being complicit in a fucking system, like a system, like a, a system of oppression by like explaining your other, like your other atomized identities as a way, like sort of opt out of it. Where it's like, you see, I'm incapable of being classist because I don't, because I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm actually an underclass. Like I am, you know, disabled or I'm black or I'm a woman. And it's like, okay, but that has really nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Right. And so, like, so you get this like weird moral economy of like woke language debates online where it's like, you know, like you're a shitty person if you're a scab. It's like, well, actually, you've activated my fucking trap card, and expecting me, expecting me to like not use Uber on like when they're striking is ableist because Uber, like Uber, gets me from point A to point B because public transportation is bad. And it's like, well, actually, you've activated my trap card and. <laughs> Using Uber on, like, using Uber on uh, during the Uber strike is actually not only classist, but it's also racist because the majority of Uber drivers are fucking people of color, uh, and you're exploiting them because you don't want to walk because as a white person, disabled or not, you have you still you have the slave you have the slave owner gene, and you secretly want to own slaves. <laughs> Uh, which is why you shop at, which is why you have a dog and why you use Uber and why you use all these gig economy fucking things and why you call a manager because calling the manager is the modern equivalent of whipping people. And then you go back and forth with that for a few days, like, you know, who can like loop in the most marginalized identities to absolve themselves of being even, to inoculate themselves from even being, from even possibly ever being able to be implicated in a system as like an oppressor but like that's not helpful right like that like that particular game i mean we've seen people play this game online where it's just like back and forth it's like actually 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 i can't be a bigot because of this and like that particular thing is just like the same liberal bullshit like symbolic economy of language meant to distract from like no movement on material change but with a different lexicon a better more like more like it's not just second wave feminist language fucking co- like with of with a few third wave mixed in words it's like post cyborg feminist lexicon <laughs> like mobilized like like mobilized against like like you know 15th dimension critical race theory that like like by a bunch of like people who have master's degrees and like gender studies and master's degrees and fucking like uh and like fucking black studies but like it's still devoid of any desire to see change or to even educate people about it it's mostly just like a game like it's, it's a back and forth game to prove your intellectual and moral superiority over somebody when really it's just like just don't fucking use uber it's just it's like, like, like it's that simple. It's like it's actually, and I think this, I think what people don't understand now because we have like we've we've just accepted that the the greatest, or rather, if not the greatest, but the most intrinsic part of social justice is the language now. And I think it's important. I just don't think I just don't think it like it. I just don't think most people care about it because most people don't, don't like live in academia or media spaces. So like language is just not that important to them. Like they they send emails to people all day, and like every email is, is like happy to e- meet you, and then you you die a little bit inside every time you see e meet 
or like meat in quotation marks because like you don't know this motherfucker. You just know what their signature on, on Outlook looks like. But like, right. like, that's like, that's where we're at now. And so like that, like that's like that sort of like woke economy of moral symbolism or whatever I fucking called it earlier is like, when you combine that with like extreme standpoint epistemology, all you get is like this weird, or you get like this, this weird thing where people just constantly feel the need to explain to you why, like why they can't be, why they can't be racist, why they can't be sexist. And like, it's, it's really just not helpful, right? You know, like it, it's not a, it's not a helpful paradigm to operate within because for the most part, like the people who, the people who are not concerned about that are the people who are actively, like, rather the only people who that, like who this particular paradigm for understanding systemic oppression benefit are people who control levers of power and don't want to actively who and don't want to actively engage with like their, the way they which they perpetuate these systems at like the macro level like everyone else it's like i definitely think that using slurs in some situation you know outside of outside of like good jokes and outside of like you being that you being allowed to say that slur can it can have a reifying effect on like the structures of you know like you know on the structure of oppression how like how you measure that impossible you can't really measure like how like you can't like there's it's not it's not like the fucking nigger butterfly effect you can't like every time you every time a white person <laughs> says like every time a white person says like the n-word out who out, outside of outside of of course uh snow the only white person who's allowed to say the n-word canadian reggae uh icon snow in yeah exactly uh Again, I've heard they're making him Sebastian in No Little Mermaid to appease racists. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna play a Sebastian the crab. That sounds that sounds legit. Yeah, so I mean, it, it all it all you know, if you're doing racism math, it all it all maps out in the end. But like, no, like so you like you just end up with this weird circumstance now where like no one wants to acknowledge their own privilege because they're so busy pointing out someone else's and. It's just useless now. It's become a useless phrase. Was it always useless? No, but like, like, but in this, in this current context of how we discuss things, like how we discuss, like actually, like the system, like it, it has, it has no meaning anymore. Uh, I totally agree with what you're saying there, and uh, I was actually looking for that phrase, standpoint epistemology, the other day. So I'm glad you mentioned that just because it, it stuck into my brain. Uh, well, but go ahead. No, I mean, like, so I use the term standpoint epistemology, like in, in, extreme in, sense. in extreme sense, like, so you say, I, I say radical standpoint epistemology. Some people might take, take umbrage with that. Like really standpoint epistemology started in the, like, I want to say second wave feminist movement where like essentially the argument, it, it's an argument that makes sense when you like, when you hear it. And I think that is, I think that's why it has a lot of purchase on the left where it's like, okay, the people who are best positioned to tell you about race or like race in America are, you know, they're not let's say, or rather blackness in America are black people. Like if I wouldn't know about blackness in America, I go to black people. I go to a black people. I go to a black person asked uh, same with, you know, feminism, you know, or rather women's issues. I'd go to a woman. Like, that's just like, that just makes sense because they're the people who deal with that on everyday issue. Uh, where that falls apart is when you realize that like not every black person has the same experience and also not like, and, and partially that's just be, like, well, primarily that's because of like, there are other identities. Like some black people are gay, some black people are rich, some black people are poor. Uh, you know, some women are black, some women are short, some women are tall. And of course those, those all seem specious, but they actually have, you know, influence your life in some way. Some women are born in the South, some women are born in the North, some people and women are born 
like in rural areas, some people are born in suburban areas. Uh, so like the critique of standpoint epistemology became like a critique of like there's a plurality of any group. And so it becomes mm. it becomes impossible to when it becomes impossible, like you have to really be careful and also glean be rather not be careful be aware that when you're talking to one person that they can only really express to you a, a complex of their own a, a complex of the cultural social and psychological and interpersonal psychological uh experiences that they've had and that they can't really be used as a fucking like as a gateway or like a cipher for the entirety of one broad group but we but we now we just do that <laughs> like, like, like yeah, that, that that applies again. The the way I see that is uh, the South. Uh, we're, we got South Carolina representing black people for the entire country, essentially in the Democratic Party. Well, I mean, my hot take of the episode is that like the, like people like the Democratic Party as part of their plan to like make racism entirely unusable as like as as a as like a point of critique or analysis is that like they they have painted the South you know the south as like the origins of all racism and the entirety of the south is just like white males and that makes it and like and so again like they shoot themselves in the foot with that because like trump is not from the south you know like if like and at least like you know trump is not poor white trash i mean he is white trash but he's not poor uh and like and he's not white trash in the sense that we recognize that he wasn't born in trailer park and so like that sounds like entirely like facile to bring up but like you have to understand that this kind of weird physiognomy, I guess is physiognomy is definitely one part of it, but it's sort of like these weird criteria that we've, that the democratic party created and that I guess liberal media or mainstream media, centrist media created that allow people to opt out of being even capable of be of being a bigot i guess a bigot's a better term than like racist because like if we said that racism is a structural thing that gets bigot would be the word that you call people who are vocally explicitly those things like we allowed people to inoculate themselves from the, the criteria of that thing because like from the you know even from a superficial standpoint how is trump really different than joe biden and like, like, it's like if you were going to describe like Joe Biden and Trump to somebody who did not know either of them, it's like, but you could only use like identity descriptors. How, like, what, where would they differ? I mean, I mean, I guess Joe rides a train. <laughs> he does that. So he, he kind of mingles with the folks. But I guess Trump also used to talk to the construction guys on his towers. That was his thing. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. But one of the things that came to my mind when you're talking about like uh, the, the class analysis and the, the standpoint thing was uh, essentially one of the things that you're talking about, I found captured by Martin Luther King Jr. in a speech. Uh, and he, he kind of talked about it in several, but uh, the one I'm thinking of talks about being proudly maladjusted and uh, essentially says that, you know, that we all want to be well-adjusted, you know, to avoid psychological, you know, problems, uh, but that uh, he was calling on people of goodwill uh, to be maladjusted to the horrific things that they see in society. So, uh, you know, to be maladjusted to religious bigotry, to be maladjusted to segregation and discrimination, to be maladjusted to the economic conditions. Uh, he says that will take the necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few and to be maladjusted to that. And what you were describing a lot of, uh, particularly, you know, like uh, affluent black pundits do is argue why it's good that they're well adjusted to those things that, that they, that I, they've adjusted to the horrific, uh, 
practices that it took to maintain the system that they benefit from. And that's what you should do too. You should also find a way to adjust to that and, and, and feel that psychologically comfortable with such a system. That's the way to succeed in the system versus the, the, the call from those like uh, MLK Jr. who are saying, no, uh, I, I don't intend to adjust to those things. I intend, I intend and uh, intentionally stand in that pain I, I i i like the way i think of it is live in your shittiness for a while like if if you purchase things that are that come from exploited labor or you you know uh your scab or whatever it's okay to live in your shittiness for a while to feel bad about it like you don't have to dwell on it for the rest of your life and and never forgive yourself but it's okay to feel bad about it and to want to do something to change it that's okay you know like if your racist uncle says something and you don't confront him it's okay to, to just be, to, to live in that shittiness and re- realize that you have to do better next time rather than try to find a way to make yourself feel like you shouldn't have to feel shitty. Like you kind of do a little bit, a little bit. It's kind of just like, you know, considering the other aspects of our system, people are more likely to just tell you why they can't be racism than they are to become a fascist or become an anti-fascist. They're like, oh, well, actually, I can't be racist because uh, I'm 117th Cherokee. And so it's actually racist for you to assume that I can be racist. Exactly. Like, I can't even, I've been arguing with liberals for the last week or so. And like, that's almost verbatim something I've heard. (laughs) It's different tribe and stuff. But yeah, like it's, when you actually, when you discuss with these people, even in person, like in person, it's like you realize how quickly and how vacuous and empty a lot of the thought process is to how they arrive at the conclusions and like how frequently it is just repeating what they heard last. And it's, it's just, it's really remarkable that like they then don't take the time to, you know, like critically analyze either what they've concluded or how they got there and they just accept it, move on. And then, like I said before, the next political thought isn't connected to that one. And, and before, like I mentioned that several times now, but I, I just want to disclaim that with that. There's a lot of reasons for that. Not all of them like, you know, intentional or anything. Just people are busy doing things that it takes to survive in a capitalist world. And so like, it's, it's easy to, you know, I think uh, it, it's easy for people to make the kind of poor assessments and judgments that people do, whether it's, you know, associating immigration with economic anxiety or race with crime or whatever it is, it's, it's easy to do in the system and it's hard to resist and to uh, like to to actively fight those kinds of hegemonic ideas or their influence on your day-to-day life but it's something that we have to do if we want to improve them but there's only like the only people that want to improve them are, are the people that choose or have to sit in that shame or the people that suffer the consequences of people not dealing with it and that's not necessarily a majority and until it is things tend to to stagnate in in the worst predicament and that's uh very uh, frustrating for a lot of people especially if you're one of those people that are in that in that position well i agree and i think you know it's fine to let you have the last word sometimes so i guess we can call it here we out we out I'll hit your bitch like a hammer. All these niggas wanna trap now, cause my wrist game Bernie Sanders. Yo bitch sit on my lap now, cause my dick game Bernie Sanders. Your bitch ugly, but she dick, dick. What's her number? What's her kick? I'm big chillin' on the playground and I'm freeze tag.
bagging on your bitch, bitch. Double dutching with your bitch, bitch. Hopscotching with your bitch, bitch. Sandbox with your bitch, bitch. Jungle gym with your bitch, bitch. Bitch, your bitch is my bitch, bitch. I ate a booty with my eyes closed. She hit my line, we have phone sex, cause she in the whole different time zone. I'm the goat, nigga, you a sheep. Why you take your bitch with a blindfold? Her booty soft like a cotton ball, but my dick harder than a pine cone. Wrist game, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Trap, trap, Bernie Sanders. Okay. Dick game, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Swag, swag, Bernie Sanders. Swag. All these niggas tryna keep up, but they can't hang with Bernie Sanders. Nah. I'm kicking back with my feet up. Yeah. Gang, gang, Bernie Sanders. Uh-huh. Cell phone, Bernie Sanders. I'm a model, check my glamour. Yeah. I'm disrespectful as the fuck. Uh-huh. I'll hit your bitch like a hammer. All these niggas wanna trap now, cause my wrist game, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Yo, be shit on my lap now, cause my dick game, Bernie Sanders. Thank you, we got.